yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garments you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and he came to her, and when he came to her, let me try that again. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we'll look at, at four things in here. We could, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with this, but I want to look at four simple things that, that um, as we come in, applications that we can put in. The first is, is to make yourself available. That we're to make ourselves available um, to God. Naomi is basically, what she's telling Ruth to do, she said, look, go make yourself available to him in marriage. Go make it known that you are available for marriage, that, that you're going out here to, to do this and, and to enter into biblical covenant with him, into a covenant marriage with him. This is to, to um, go and show him this. So everything that she's telling her to do, these are symbolic of what a bride would do to engage a broom, to, to, to engage a groom, to, to go and to be married. So um, she, would, um, she would prepare herself. So this is preparation preparing herself for marriage or, or the preparations that um, a bride makes for a groom. So these preparations Naomi lists out are the things that the bride does to prepare for the bridegroom. So av- availability requires preparation. When we want to be available, we have to be prepared. So if, if you come in here, first of all, it says, you know, go bathe or go cleanse yourself. Um, this, this was a normal thing that a person would do for a wedding, you know, we all, hopefully you all took a bath before you got married, right? Um, but, but you would go and, and you would clean yourself up to put on um, perfume or ointment would, would be in that culture. You know, they didn't have deodorant or anything like that. You put on this, this uh, scented olive oil to cover up your smell. So you, you would do this so they would uh, cover themselves in perfume, put on her outer garment or, or her heavy 
robe. So she's preparing herself as a bride as she goes to see. So as, as we come in and, and think about that, and when we make ourselves available, it's, it's being prepared to, to encounter um, <clears throat> the bridegroom. And, and if we look at it in, in the greater sense as a church, we are the bride of Christ, and we're to be prepared as we come before Him, as we come before God, we are to prepare ourselves, to wash ourselves, make ourselves clean. The Scriptures would tell us that we are to come before God with clean hands, a clean heart, a clean conscience as we engage Him. And we are commanded to prepare ourselves to enter into His presence. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So <clears throat> if we come in and, and we look at this as Ruth prepares to go to the threshing floor to engage Boaz in, in this encounter that, that her mother-in-law is telling her to do, uh, we can take a book, we can take a page out of her book and cleanse ourselves, cleanse our hearts and clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ as we come before him as, as the bride of Christ, as the church of Christ, and, and to do that. So as, as we come in, something to think about is, is how do we make ourselves available to God? How do you do that today? When you come before God in the morning in prayer, when you approach the scripture when when we do this and and we do it on a on a daily basis how do we do that is it something that's just kind of routine is it something that we do out of habit is it something that we approach um, understanding the holiness of God, the, the power of God, the, the love of God, of who God is as we approach Him? Do we approach Him in a prepared state? Or we, do, do we just rush in to the presence? Do we come in? And, and this is what, you know, as Ruth is going in to, to encounter Boaz, and basically what she's going to do, she's going to go ask, her, ask him to marry her. I mean, that's what she does. She says, marry me. Um, but as she comes in, she doesn't do that without being prepared. She doesn't go and do that without being ready and making it known that she is available for this encounter, to be available for marriage to him. And, and so this is, as we come in, says, look, you just go down there. This is what you're going to do. You're going to, be, you're going to be prepared. You're going to watch where he lays down. You're going to go down to that place. And, and then when he does um, observe where he lies, then just uncover the feet, lay down there at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. So, so she goes and, and she does that. So the second thing is, is um, we make ourselves available is to um, show initiative, to show initiative in this. It, um, Naomi, when we come into the story, she's not going to just sit around and wait forever. She's not going to sit around and wait. What's going to happen with Ruth? If we go back to chapter 1, the blessing that Naomi um, speaks over Orpah and Ruth is a blessing to say, may, may you stay here in this land. May God bless you in this land and, and you will find husbands here and, and you will have a family here and you will have security here and you will have a future. And so Naomi's not going to sit around and just wait on the kinsman redeemer to come knock on the door and say, hey, um, 
uh, I forgot about this, and, and I know that Ruth is here, and, and no one has redeemed her, and, and, and that's my role. I'm going to do that. No, she's not going to do that. She's going to initiate this. So this is what Naomi is doing. She sat there, she's prayed, and now she is engaging in the process. And that's clear from the first five verses. As you look at this, she's just saying, look, look this is what we're going to do. This is, this is how we're going to do it, and, and this is the way it's going to take place. So Ruth also makes this obvious in her interaction with Boaz. When, when she interacts with Boaz, she doesn't just stop right there and say, oh, hey, I'm Ruth, and, and, and go on from there. Her instructions from Naomi says, look, you go watch him after he eats, after he's satisfied and, he, and he's relaxed and he's in a good mood and he lays down full, satisfied from a great day's work and, and, and the harvest coming in and everything going very well. He's going to lay down. He's going to sleep. He's going to sleep well. Um, lay down, uncover his feet. Later on in the night, his feet are going to get cold. Um, he's going to know something's up, and that's basically what happens. And, and there it is. So, <clears throat> so you come in and, and do what he says. But Ruth, um, when, when, she, when, when Boaz speaks to Ruth and says... <clears throat> says, um, who are you? Immediately, Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. In, in verse 9, he's, you know, who are you? I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. <clears throat> so this is interesting because this is a change. Ruth doesn't describe herself as subservient to Boaz. She describes herself in this, I'm, I'm your servant. And basically she's saying, I'm your peer. It is no longer you are the local and I am the foreigner. It is no longer you are the owner of the field and I am the servant worker. No, I am Ruth. I'm not Ruth the Moabitess. I am Ruth. And, and not only that, she goes further. She goes further than... What, um, when you talk about showing initiative, she goes further than what Naomi told her to do. Naomi just said, you just do what he tells you to do. She, told, she tells Boaz what to do. She doesn't stop there. She goes, look, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wing over me. Spread your wing over your servant, for you are a redeemer. If you remember um, in chapter 2, Boaz said, may, may the Lord spread his wing over you. Um, and it's saying to cover you, to protect you, to take you, and, and to be one with him. So she addresses Boaz as a peer. She also says he's, she's his servant. To say that she's a servant also means I'm eligible for marriage. She's saying I am eligible to marry you. And then she asks him to marry her. She says... I am um, Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So there it is in, in the thing. So she goes well beyond what Naomi has told her to do. She takes the initiative once the encounter takes place. So, you know, so much for waiting on him to tell her what, her to, what to do. There she is. She's just saying, you know what? We're here and, and we're engaging. So Ruth is confident in her standing before Boaz, and she's confident in her standing within the community. She has come in, and she has established herself, and, and she has lived out 
her, her faith and she has um, shown her character. And so as we come in and we see this, Boaz confirms this. He comes in and, and then he says, um, <clears throat> May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So as, as we come in, we see this and we see how, how Boaz views her. And he says, says everybody is, is aware that you are a worthy person, that, that you are one of us. And, and so uh, he says, now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all that you ask. So sometimes as we come in and we look, we see these prayers that are taking place in the book of Ruth. We see Naomi pray. We see Boaz um, speak the blessing over, over Ruth in chapter 2 and so forth. But as we come in and we see and we pray and we pray and we pray or we, we do that, sometimes we need to act on our prayer. Sometimes we need to take some initiative after we pray um, and actually engage and do something. We could pray and sometimes, you know, we talk about we need to wait on the Lord. Well, we could wait forever, you know. You can pray and pray and pray, but when opportunity presents itself, it, it is um, <laughs> kind of imperative that we all, um, take some action, right? If you're praying for something and praying for something and praying for something and it pops up in front of your face, you can wait and say, well, I'm, I'm waiting until, you know, it jumps into my lap or whatever. Yeah, but, or you can just go, you know what? I think God is answering my prayer. And, and you can take some initiative and engage in that process. And, and it could be, you know, it, it could have been, the story could have gone differently, I guess. And Boaz could have said, you know what? Um, I'm too old for you. I'm not interested in you. Um, there's somebody else for you. He, he could have said any number of things. It wouldn't have made Ruth wrong or Naomi wrong. They just, you know, said, okay, well, we, we did what we could do. And, and they would, would go on. But um, Naomi had prayed for Ruth and Orpah to find husbands. And now she's getting involved in making it happen. She comes in and she just says, she tells Ruth after chapter two, the harvest is empty, is, is over. They're back to normal life. They're living there, whatever it is that it looks like for them. And however long this has been, Naomi tells Ruth, look, it's time to take off the robes of mourning and put on the robes of, of normal life. Go out to the threshing floor. Um, the robe that she would wear, it's, it's not a bride's robe or anything weird like that. It was probably the robe of, of a common person that would keep them warm in the night. So she would go out to stay warm in the night as she was there to wait and to see what would take place here. So as we come in and look at it, um, we can look at our prayers and, and how does our faith, you know, to think about it, how does my, how, how can my prayers be impacted by my faith and my actions? You know, how, how do you impact your prayer life through faith and through action? How, how do these things work together? How do we come and meld these two things together so that my prayer life is also a life that, that I look at and I'm actively involved in it. It's not just something that kind of is out there floating around and we just wait. It's something that we come in and, and we actually engage in. We actually are a part of or 
maybe another way of putting it is if, if um, we're praying for something to happen, praying, 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 then how do we become a part of that? If God is placing that on our hearts to pray, how does he want to engage us in that prayer? So as we come in, we have to be available, show initiative, uh, do the right thing would be the next thing is to do the right thing. Um, it, uh, <clears throat> this do the right thing doesn't necessarily sound like something that comes out. You know, it doesn't sound like a Bible verse, really. It, it just sounds like something that we would kind of throw in there. But, but that's basically how, how the scripture comes out. And, and basically, to do the right thing sums up what a person of character or how a person of character responds to their circumstances. It's how a man or a woman of character, of upstanding character, responds to the things going on around them. Be, be they good things, bad things, um, whatever, it, however it runs on the spectrum. How do I respond to the things that happen around me? So if, if we come in and we look in here, there's no legal prescription for Boaz to marry Ruth and keep on the family name and keep the family name up. He doesn't have to do that. Biblically, there's nothing that, that he's going to come in and go, okay, um, this is the way it is. Naomi has brought back Ruth. Um, we're kind of related. And because of that, you know, this verse, this verse, and this verse tell me that I have to do this. It's, it's just not. It's not there. Um, there's principle in there. But, but it's not in there specifically. And, and Boaz doesn't stop and look for the rules. He doesn't stop in the encounter and, and go, wow, okay, um, let's see. Ruth, you, you came here tonight. Um, you're asking me to marry you. Let's see. Let me think. What exactly, what are the rules with this? How do I respond? You know, how, what, what is it that... He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't stop and, and look at it. He just intuitively knows what to do. Intuitively, he knows how to respond. He responds to her because he's a man of character, and his character drives his actions. And he could respond in a lot of different... I mean, he could respond in some really bad ways in this circumstance. So you've got a, a woman who shows up at the threshing floor... Um, at this time, and, and that, that would not, that's not necessarily a, a good behavior. Um, so, so coming in, there, there are a lot of things that could have taken place here, but Boaz, he responds as a man of character. And, and what he says in Ruth 3.11, in the latter part of that verse, he says, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Um, they know that Ruth is a woman of character. Everybody knows what kind of woman she is by this time um, in the story. And, and it was because of the way that she lived. It's because of the way that she is living her day-to-day -day life. It, it's not because they have um, listened to what she says about herself or anything else. They just watched. They watched and saw her. They saw her belief. They saw her faith. They saw her character lived out in real and <clears throat> vivid ways, and, and she demonstrated unconditional love. If, if you come in, um, and that's, this is what Boaz says, you've, you've, you have shown me love by doing this. He said, you didn't, pick, you didn't pick after the young guys, you didn't pick after the wealthy guys, you picked me. And this is an incredible thing, and, and it speaks highly of you, and I am highly honored that you would engage me in this way. So everybody knows, and she 
demonstrates unconditional love towards Boaz. She demonstrates unconditional love towards Naomi in the way that she loves her and cares for her and stays with her. So this is who she is. This is just who she is. She is a person who constantly is trying to live out her faith, to live out who she is before God. This week I was reading in Acts 26 in my Bible reading, and in there, Paul, he's speaking to King Agrippa, and he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That kind of stuck out to me, the last couple of phrases in there. He said, repent and turn to God. So Paul says, you know, after I had this vision on the road to Damascus, I went and took the gospel to the people outside of Israel. And as I took the gospel to these people who weren't of my faith, but they were of different faiths. Of all, they worshiped all different kinds of gods in all different kinds of places. I went and told them that it's time to repent, to turn, to turn from your gods and turn to the one true living God and live a life that's in accordance with that, to let your actions reflect that. Don't just say that I am now following Jesus, but show by your actions that you are following Jesus. Not only speak it, but actually live it. Perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. So availability and initiative, they're great, but they have to be tempered by right actions. As we temper our availability, we temper our initiative, and we temper it with character with doing the things that, that line up with the scriptures. It's taking the principles that we learn in scripture and applying them to our uh, current circumstances. Um, you know, I think as, as we uh, have come through the last three or four months, I kind of look at it and go, man, where in the Bible is the game plan for, for coronavirus, you know? And I, I, I was thinking about it and I thought, well, I wonder where that is. Maybe we could go to Leviticus and talk about, you know, like the guy with the yellow sore oozing stuff, and he was supposed to go outside the camp for a week. You know, maybe maybe that's what coronavirus is. Um, you know, does you know what, what does it look like? Um, or it, maybe maybe you know if if um, if we have coronavirus, we walk around and yell exposed, exposed, you know, to everybody who came by so they would stay away. I don't know, you know. I mean, where what do you do with this thing, you know? And, and then, you know, how do you do it in church? You know, what, what do we do there? Um, I don't see anything about stream or live stream or virtual church or anything anywhere in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, that's just totally not in the Bible, you know? Um, <clears throat> virtual church is, um, that's an anomaly. That's a, that's the best that, that's possible. That's the best thing that's available. Um, <clears throat> but it would never, it, we could never replace actual human contact with <clears throat> with cyberspace i mean it th those aren't it doesn't work well um, we need real community with real people and in real engagement i'm not saying that that um, it's wrong um, obviously that that was all that we could do and i would say biblically from a scriptural standpoint the principle would be that that's what we should do that, that we should make that available, that we should have done that, that we should have uh, prepared worship services where we could meet together in whatever fashion was possible. 
And if you come through and, and you go through and you look scripturally, it said, you know, they met in the temple courts, they met house to house, uh, people met in people's homes, they met in, in different gathering venues and different things. So there's no set prescription that, that you build a building that's, you know, 110 by 40 and you put speakers in it and you come in and you meet at this time on this day of, of this week, every week. That's not a principle that we come in and say, this is the rule. It's just something that we come in and we go, you know what, this is a functional way for us to worship. As we come in and we look at it, it's, it's right, it works, it fits, it happens this way. And, and we can come in and do all kinds of things. So as we come in and we look at Boaz and how he responds, he doesn't have a one, two, three tick list. Okay, I've got to check the boxes and I know that you know, the flow chart's working and here it is that I go. He's a man of God. He's a godly man. He's a man of character. He understands who he is and he is in the moment, in the situation, and he says, you know what? This is a, this is a noble woman. This is a woman who unconditionally loves her mother-in-law, who has sacrificed greatly to love her and care for her. She is a woman who has carried herself with dignity as she has worked and, and she has come and she has cared and, and she has given herself unconditionally loving her. And, and Boaz expresses this back towards her and he comes in and he responds to her and, and so he's just continually expressing his <clears throat> his response to, to her love for Naomi, to her unconditional love, to the Hesed love that he that she has for her. And, and so as, as we come in, he begins to apply the principles and he just says, you know what? I can redeem this property. I, I am able to do that. However, there's someone who is ahead of me on the list. He's a closer relative. So I will go to him first and, and we'll have this settled. We'll settle the matter and see what happens. But, but as we come in, um, you know, something that, that we can look at in our own lives is are we comfortable taking scriptural principles as, as we study and, and read the scriptures and come into the principles that are found in there, like the principle we've been talking about through Ruth is unconditional love, loving when we expect nothing in return, that I love just because I love. I don't love because I'm getting something out of it. I'm loving unconditionally. Um, the kind of love that God has shown to us in Christ. And, and so do we feel comfortable applying the principles of Scripture to the very circumstances of life? Are you able to do that? Or are you able to take the things that you read and, and the stories of the lives of people in the Old Testament? Because I think this is the, the, the big issue in there. When we read about all these different people, we read about Ruth, we read about David, you, you read about Esther, you read about Noah or Abraham or you know, Elijah or Elisha or Moses or any, any of these people in the Bible, you read about them and, and then you read about the circumstances and different things they engage. Are you comfortable taking those principles that are involved in those stories of their lives and then applying them to your own life? And saying, you know, my circumstances aren't exactly the same, but there's some principles in here that apply. So how do I apply those to my life when they're not specifically addressed to my situation? So this is what um, Naomi and Ruth do. They, 
take some scriptural things and apply it. And this is what Boaz does in response. He applies these things to it. And basically what he does is he does the right thing. He does the thing that, that God would lead us to do through his word. And then the final thing is to trust God with the results. So Naomi tells Ruth, go and do what he tells you to do. Um, Ruth goes and, and she takes a little initiative from there and she pushes it a little bit further and, and she doesn't just wait for him to wake up and, and say, who are you? Um, <clears throat> but instead, she says, I'm Ruth. I'm available for marriage and I want you to marry me. <clears throat> Fairly straightforward. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, obviously she knew exactly what she wanted. So, so she did, and, and she comes in and, and does that, and then she goes back. So she does what he says after that. He says, look, um, stay here before the sun comes up. You go out. Um, there's a whole lot. Man, we're skimming over a lot of details in this story. But, um, you know, it, it makes sense that he loads her up with grain to go back um, so it doesn't look like, you know, she was there at the threshing floors or characters not. Um, questioned or anything, but he gives her grain to take back, probably between 30 and 50 pounds of grain to take back to, uh, to her mother-in-law. So he sends her back and <clears throat> tells her to wait. Or, or sends her back to her mother-in-law, and then her mother-in-law says, you wait. Uh, Naomi tells her, said, um, she shows him what's going on, and then Naomi said, you know what? Just wait right here. Because this guy, he is not going to let the sun go down on this one. He is going to take care of the circumstances and go. So as, um, as um, you look in verse 16, it says, And when Ruth, when she came to her mother-in-law, she, um, Naomi said, How did you fare, my daughter? Um, she said, Who are you? Who are you? Are you Ruth or are you Mrs. Boaz? Who are you? That's, that's really what, what the, the thrust of the question is. Who are you now? What, what is the answer to the question? And, and then uh, Ruth tells her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And Naomi replies, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. The final thing is to trust God with the results. Naomi just says, just, just sit back and wait now. You've done everything you can do. You have to wait. It's time to wait and see what happens. So um, the results of the plan, they were pretty convincing. I mean, everything that takes place as Ruth comes back, gives the, uh, gives the rundown to Naomi. Naomi is confident and she's going to wait now on the results. In Ruth 3.18, she says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So Naomi knows what kind of man that Boaz is, and she knows from his response that he's going to follow through. And we also can trust God um, in, in the same way today. We can trust God knowing that God will always come through when we go through this process we're trusting god we're available to god we're engaging and and we're living out our faith in an active way and then we come in and we respond 
in, in a way that's biblical, we know that God also is going to react to that, that God is going to have a response back towards us. And so as, as we come in and, and look at that and, and see the story, you know, I don't know. I, I think that might have been a, an interesting afternoon. Um, Naomi sounds extremely competent, and I'm sure she was. Um, Ruth was probably fairly competent as well. But what's going to happen? What, what is going to happen? Because <clears throat> Boaz said um, there's, another, there's another redeemer. It's, it's not, I'm not first in line. So now you've got this thing thrown in there, and, and Naomi and, and uh, Ruth are there. And I, I'm wondering, you know, is Naomi think, you know what? He's going to know. He's going to know what to do to make sure that this other guy says no. And, and when we get into chapter 4, we're going to see that, you know, yeah, he, he puts it in a way. You know, the way he poses the question, he goes, hey, you can redeem the land. He goes, yeah, I'll take the land. He goes, um, you also get the woman. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, so, so it comes in and, and you've got this deal, but he is coming in and they're waiting and trusting in God. And as they go through this process um, of availability, initiative, and action, then they have to sit back and wait. Now they can't try to manufacture results. They can't try to do anything. There's nothing left to do but to wait. And sometimes we go through that process as well in our walk with God, and we come to the point of, okay, what do we do now? What do we do now? Or you've done everything you can do. You've done absolutely everything that you can do. You have followed every biblical principle you can think about. You've not left any stone unturned. You've prayed. You've trusted God. You've engaged everywhere you can engage. You have gone through that. And now it's at the point of what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I think it's going to go my way. I think this is what's going to happen. But I have to wait until the matter is settled. And there's nothing I can do now but wait. And <clears throat> how difficult is that process? Is anybody really good at waiting? I hate to wait. I mean, I hate to wait. I hate to wait in traffic. I hate to wait at lights. I hate to wait. I hate to wait on anything. I mean, I just don't like to wait. Um, I guess that means that I'm impatient. And I'll own it. I mean, I will. I, I just don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, um, but <clears throat> on the other hand, there are times where I know, I just know, it's time to stop. Take a deep breath. Relax. And wait. Wait's what broke the wagon, right? different kind of wait but uh <clears throat> but that's what they always used to say at work where you know i'm waiting the weight's what broke the wagon boy get to work um <clears throat> and uh but but 
you know, it is, you know, sometimes we just have to wait. Are you uncomfortable doing that? Are you uncomfortable waiting on God? Because biblically, the scriptures tell us to wait on the Lord. Or those who wait on the Lord will be renewed. They'll mount up with wings like eagles, you know. Um, They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not grow faint. Um, those are the things that as we come in and, and we look at that, um, I, would, I would say that of all the things in there today, waiting, that's the most difficult thing um, that, that I can think of, to trust God with the results, to come in and to know that I've done everything and now all I can do is sit back and wait. Sit back and wait. But you know what? That also drives me to a second thing. I can trust God. We can trust God. Because you know what? God loves us unconditionally. God wants what's absolutely best for us. God wants to not only um, love us, but through us to love others and to impact others, and and to change lives, not only my life, but the lives of those around me. Um, He wants to take and do things in ways that we'll never see or understand, because he sees and knows all things. So as we trust God with results, sometimes trusting God with results means that... um, I might not get the answer I want. I might not see the answer at all. It may seem like the question is just not being answered. Yet, in reality, when you look at it and you roll it over and over and over in your brain, it's not, you know what? Yeah, that's where it is. So, So that's kind of where we are with it all. So as we come in today and we look in this story with Ruth, it's, it's really, a, it's a Ruth chapter 3 is fascinating. I mean, it's just absolutely, all the, all the different stuff when you come in and cultural and everything background-wise, um, it, it's just absolutely amazing. But really, when you, when you boil it down, Ruth and Naomi, they engaged their faith. They just engaged it. They lived it out, and they engaged it <clears throat> in a way that is, is very practical and, and very responsive to God, and then they trusted him to do that. So as you come in and you look today into your own life, do you see yourself as being available to God? Am I preparing myself to enter into the presence of God on a daily basis? Am I acting out on my prayers? Am I acting on my prayers? Am I trusting Him and doing that? Am I <clears throat> coming in and Trusting him with results as I live it out on a day-to-day basis because that, those would be the things that we could take and apply in this passage to our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and <clears throat> we thank you because you are a God who loves us unconditionally, because you